Good morning, everybody. Isn't it great to be together today? It's very encouraging. Thanks, Jabari, for that amazing song. And uh, really, we need to be so grateful for the brothers and sisters who come early and set up all of this equipment and come early and rehearse their songs and have so much joy back there. It's a party before church. And we need to be grateful because they are an important part of our hearts and minds being set for opportunity to come in front of God together. Amen? So thank you. And we need to be grateful because that's a command from God for singing songs of praise, for building one another up in song, psalms and, and spiritual songs. Amen? And that's what we were able to do. I'm Kevin Finnerty, for those of you who don't know who I am, and my wife down there, Andy, Andrea, and other lives, but they call her Andy here. Uh, she's my wonderful wife, and behind every great man is usually an amazing and patient woman. And that's my wife, and she lets us have adventures and do crazy stuff together. And uh, it's great. Amen? And I see so many friends. Everywhere I go, I see Baron. Baron will show up in a moment. But I'm like, what you doing here? I thought you were in Manhattan. He goes, they made me a Bible talk leader. I was like, amen, amen. And uh, there's a picture, I think, if we could bring up the picture of my family. So uh, that's uh, my son-in-law, Garth, there on the, on the right. And uh, he's married to my beautiful daughter, McCall. And uh, they're living down in the Bahamas. Yeah, somebody's got to suffer for the gospel, right? But they're doing great. Uh, they're just having a great time there in Nassau. Right now they're with the church in Freeport. He's working as a lawyer there. But everywhere they go, they just wind up meeting and reaching out to the most interesting people. They've got a Bible talk of millionaires that keep vying for opportunities to have the Bible talk in their home. So he comes from a very humble home, born and raised in the Bahamas but of Haitian descent. And he just lets God use him in amazing ways. He was not born into that world. He just stepped into that world because he said, God put me there. So I want us to be able to step into the world of things that blow you away with what can happen. Amen? And uh, that's our daughter, Caitlin, there in the back of that picture. We were on vacation this last summer together, and uh, that was on in, the, uh, in Greece. Uh, what, what island was that? Um, Santorini Island. And uh, she just graduated university. We save up every four years for like a family vacation. So she just graduated university. She's back with us right now. She's uh, working as an EMT, wants to be a nurse, and working with the youth and family ministry in Westchester. Amen? And that's the two of us there. We had just had a great time together. And I'll mention a little bit about uh, one of the places we got to go in a moment. Because that was a journey where afterwards Andy and I went on a journey. And we actually went to Athens. And we stood on the Areopagus where Paul addressed the, the same steps. I climbed, there's a, there's a new set of steps and there's a 2,000-year-old set of steps. I climbed the 2,000-year-old, they're kind of uneven and worn out. I was like, I want to climb the steps that Paul climbed. And I stood up there, I looked around, I was like, what could this guy have done and said to these people? It was amazing how he took an opportunity where there were just a multiplicity of gods and addressed the unknown God and got to share his faith. Amen? So today I want to talk about Jesus triumphant and what Jesus did for us. And Henry was singing that song, Meet me in Jerusalem. I was like, that's such an awesome song. 
Because it's a visual. Isn't that where we all want to be? The new Jerusalem? And that's the whole idea. We want to just get there. Where Jesus is actually entering into there in a triumphant way and done amazing things. And we're going to look at what he did, look at what he said, and look at what was the outcome. Because it was the fruit of a triumphant life where he was used by God in amazing ways. If you can look in Luke chapter 19 and verse 28. So historically, this is about the week before Easter. It's one of the times we know definitively because it chronicles it. So after Jesus had said this in Luke 19, verse 28, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which has never been ridden. Untie the colt and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you untying it? Tell him, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead found the colt just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it back to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. In another gospel, it mentions that they spread palm branches as well, hence Palm Sunday, the, the, the day we celebrate before Easter. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise. Imagine us, a whole crowd of disciples joyfully praising God in a loud voice as Jesus went through. Wouldn't we just be so excited to have been in that situation? Amen? It says, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They had just seen all of these miraculous things. They were on a journey. If you want to know why they said for all the miracles they'd seen, read the parallel Gospels before Luke 19. And he had done so many miraculous things on this journey to Jerusalem where the crowd just kept growing and growing and growing. And they said, rebuke your disciples. He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on the other because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Was Jesus an intense speaker at times? He was powerful. He was meaningful, and he was direct. He cared. He wept. His heart was on his sleeve a lot because he cared about the outcome. How did he feel about the fact that these guys were refusing what he had to offer? And it was like he could see what could have been different if they had made different choices. But you know what? The disciples were excited, weren't they? And as followers of Christ, we need to be able to take time to be equally excited about Jesus. 
and amazed at what he's done and amazed at what he can do with us. And if we go to the next slide there, basically, Jesus did some amazing things, right? He did some miraculous things. Imagine what he can do with us. Even when he told them, go and get this colt, the colt that no one's ever ridden, and if anybody says to you anything, tell them this. And they go and they find the colt exactly where he said it was going to be. And the people said exactly what he said they were going to say. And they said exactly what he told them to, and they got the horse. And they weren't labeled horse thieves or anything like that. The Lord needs it. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. This is the prophecy that was fulfilled. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was the prophecy his disciples helped to fulfill. Just as we have an ability to fulfill the prophecy of helping people who've never believed in him, I mean, never seen him and never believed in him, to believe in him. Think about it. When you help somebody come to faith in Jesus Christ, he says, you're blessed and they're blessed. We're going to end on that scripture. You are a part of a miraculous event when people come to those faithful convictions. Amen? This colt had never been ridden. Have you ever seen a movie where they try to break a horse? What usually happens multiple times when you try to ride a horse first that's never been ridden? You get thrown off, right? The, it's a, usually a rodeo, nine seconds on that bad boy. That thunder, death, lightning. There's all these names they have for these horses that just destroy people. Jesus just gets on the donkey that had never been ridden. Can you imagine if we were to try to do that? But that's how powerful Jesus is. Amen? They'd already seen him calm the storm. They'd already seen him walk on water. They'd just seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. That's one of the miracles. I encourage you, go and read the things that Jesus did that made this incredible crowd of disciples stand on the sides of the road and praise God. Because we need to take time to contemplate that. We, sometimes we just get... I got my scriptures. Sometimes we need to get the picture and the story and, and take time to build it that way. Amen? He took control of that horse. Are you willing to let him take control of your life? James chapter 4 and verse 7. Will you give the reins of your life over to Jesus? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your mourning to joy, and your uh, sorry, your mourning to, and your joy to gloom. And humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Some of us have been in the reins of Satan. There's just stuff that we're involved in. And we're like, oh, man, I can't believe that happened again. You just need to. Humble yourselves. You need to resist the devil. Give your life over to Jesus, and he'll take control. Amen? So many of us in here that have repented of some stuff, just like this couple that shared. Think about the stuff that God has forgiven, the victories they have overcome, the, the, the debt that's been paid, the salvation that's been rained down, and the changed lives that have, a husband saved. Wow! That's intense. But that's what God can do when you give your life over to Him. When you stop trying to be in control of yourself 
and you put God in control of yourself. Submit yourselves to God. You know, if you've ever thought you're wild and out of control, that's what a horse was like. If Jesus is able to help a horse, don't you think he's able to help us? Amen? You know, are we willing to give up what we have to? Even when the disciples said, the Lord needs it. What does Jesus need from you? What does he need from me? Are we willing to give it up? Some of us here are in places where we're building our relationship with God. We're studying the Bible. Maybe we're even planning on coming back to church and getting ourselves restored. What does Jesus want from us? Even as Christians, sometimes we think, oh, I'm saved. You know, I, I hope as brothers and sisters, we all mature to the point where we're not just happy we're in, but we're striving to bring as many with us as possible. Sometimes we're just glad to be saved, right? I'm glad I'm at the party. But the reality is, there's, there's a bigger party that could be had. Amen? Just look at this. We have a great number of people here. We could get even more. we got a top row. You should have a vision for filling this place up. Amen? On every Sunday, not just Easter Sunday. We know Easter Sunday, right? We had 500 people in Westchester on Easter Sunday. The next Sunday there was 100 less because there's all those people that just feel like, well, Easter Sunday, I better be there or God's going to really be mad at me. You know what I'm saying? That's important. That's an important Sunday. You know, we, we get all these ideas and thoughts. We need to help people understand every time is an important time. Every opportunity is an amazing chance, right? You remember back when it was WWJD? What was that? What would Jesus do, right? Amen? And when I was back in college and just had graduated, I studied the Bible with one of my good friends. He's a disciple out in New Jersey. And uh, his name is Ariel Quinones. His nickname was Oreo Kuski, Homeboy Supreme. Chilling hard, boy. <laughs> and why am I telling you this? Because he literally was the Don Juan of Rutgers University. He was a DJ. He was a hottie. He was a handsome dude. He had great ways about him. And he had so many women that had been so enamored of him that when he became a Christian, they would see him they go, Ariel! And they'd start running towards him. And on the front of his sneakers... Even you teenagers, on the front of his sneakers, he wrote, Would Jesus do this? And he's like, No! And he would run away. <laughs> One time we were in a dorm reaching out to some people, and a girl came in and plopped himself right down on her lap, on his lap. He's like, Yo, Kev, just hate me, man. I repented. <laughs> I was like, There's no place for this in the kingdom of God. Why am I saying this? What is Jesus asking from you? What is he expecting you to give up? What is he expecting you to embrace? This is not just a take it or leave it. What was the consequence of Jerusalem refusing? Guys, this is not I'll take it or leave it. I'll take it or I'll be destroyed. We can't just be that way. You know, and you think about this. There's all this praising going on, right? And they're, they're telling them to be quiet, right? Think about that. Do you think Jesus needed his ego stroked? No. He was letting them take time to praise him and to honor him because it's important. For us, we need to take time to praise him and honor him and contemplate. When Henry was singing that song, that's meant to meet me in Jerusalem. Let's get a vision of where it is, the new Jerusalem. I was just telling the brother Rodney I met over here, I was like, 
in heaven we'll have perfect memories. I know Rodney's name now because I mentioned met him twice in five minutes and I just said his name now. But help me out if two years from now I'm like, I know I know you, but in heaven we're going to have perfect memories. Amen? Why am I saying? Because we're going to be made new. You know, we need to be those people that can take time to praise God for what he's done for us. This is why it was in the Bible. They want to remind us how awesome they thought Jesus was. Because it should inspire us with how awesome he is in their lives. They spread out their cloaks. They spread out palm branches. They shouted praises. You know, are we taking time to praise him? Are we taking time to spread out our arms and get down on our knees and just be grateful? That's not for Jesus. Who's that for? Us. Help keep our hearts in the right place for what it is that we've got. Amen? This is the awesomest thing that's out there. This is the best thing since sliced bread. We need to be grateful for it. And in any morning where you're feeling less than that, you need to pray, God, help this to inspire me so that my heart never grows cold. Help this to encourage me so that my faith never shrinks back. You know? And the irony of all of this is he's shortly going to be betrayed. And he's still letting these people praise him. He knows we're going to mess up. Sometimes we are sincere and we mess up and we're tempted to give up. We can't give up. We can't hide sin. Don't do it. God will expose it. And I, I praise God when he does and people repent. But isn't it so much better to bring it out yourself? Be the men and women that if you've messed up and you need help, go get some help. Trust the care and concern of the brothers and sisters. Don't be afraid of the consequences. If there are no consequences. The only consequences, you get your heart right and you get help and you get stronger and you get a victory over something that was dogging you. Amen? He loves us. He knows we're going to have our great days. He knows we're going to have our bad days. He knew when you got baptized that you were still going to sin. I know our hearts, I'll never sin again. I'll never, oh, I'm white as snow. I'm perfect. You know what happens to snow in New York City? Don't eat the yellow snow. And it always turns gray eventually, right? Although, my father did say New York City is a lot cleaner than when he came here in 1950. In 1950, it was filthy. Now, he's passed away like eight years ago. It's a great thing. All this good stuff they did to clean up the city. It's, streets are clean. You go to L.A., there's garbage everywhere. He's like, the streets are clean in New York City. Uh, so all I'm saying is there's a lot of good things happening, but the best thing is for us to be in the grace of God. Amen? But he know, even after we got baptized, he knew we were going to mess up. He still cared. He knew these people, all these crowds of people, after everything, there was only 120. And at the judgment, there was nobody. And at the cross, there was only three people. He still let them praise him because he knew the, the praise is sincere. He knew that the struggle is real. He knew he had to die because even in our best moment, we blow it. So sometimes we get so caught up in, am I good or bad, that we, we psych ourselves out. Second thing, next slide there. The rocks themselves would cry out. Think about that. The joy of Jesus' coming was in nature itself. Imagine the excitement all the spiritual beings in heaven were feeling. There were times where men were allowed to see the spiritual host on earth and how they were acting. You imagine if this was what the disciples were doing, how big was the crowd of angels? How big was the glory? How, how, how radiant was that? 
The rocks themselves would cry. It was in the earth. He says, rejoice that our names are written in heaven, right? It doesn't depend on just the good things that are happening to you right now. It's the fact that your name is written in heaven. In Luke chapter 10, in verse 17, this was a time when the 72 had been sent out. They returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written where? In heaven. The 72 were excited about all the good news. But what did Jesus say to rejoice in? None of those things. To rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Sometimes our salvation is what I would call situationally swishy, which is even hard to say. Situationally swishy. Well, we need to be salvationally solid. Amen? We do not need to be driven by how things look like they're going right now. There's going to be times when things are looking like they're going great. There's going to be times when it looks like it's, it couldn't be darker. There's that, there's that dark, they talk about the black, black, the real black, and how TVs are, are they really black or are they, they fake black, you know? Or how black is the screen? You know, they talk, sometimes things are so dark, it couldn't get any darker. You know what I'm talking about? But still, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He went through the darkest of times because he believed he would come through the other side, be brought back by his father, pay a price for us, ransom us back from Satan, tear a curtain up so that we could be entering in, open the way to heaven for us, cut away our sins, clothed in Christ, be born again, be made new. He didn't care how bad the situation got. He knew where he was heading. Amen? You know, he cried over the city. I think Jesus could have seen the different timelines. I like science fiction, so I think there's multiple timelines he could have seen. Plan A, when Jerusalem embraces it. Plan B, when Jerusalem denies it. He looked and he wept over the city. It's like he could see what would happen if they had acknowledged him. He could see all the different outcomes because people still have choices. We have choices. He constantly creates opportunities for us, but we always have a choice. Look in Acts 17. We always have a choice. He's always looking for opportunities. He's never far from us, but we always, we, perhaps we could reach out for him. You know, as he, in verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem in Luke 19 and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and dash and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, your, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on the other because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Imagine the great things that Jesus sees for us in accepting and following him. But we can't forget the bad things that wait us if we refuse them. It's not accept them. It's accept them. You, do you understand? There's, there's one way or the other way. There's not like, this is okay. I, I think, no, 
We need to be men and women that see Jesus was weeping because he knew how bad refusing him was going to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's how much he cares. I sat down with a brother the other day, and God used a relationship in his life to bring out some sin that had been hidden for years. He almost had decided he was never going to bring it out. And it came out. But at first, he wanted to blame the situation and life and even God. And I'm sitting there thinking, this guy is going to lose his soul. And he's someone I've known for years. I've been through ups and downs, and he's had losses in his life. It just moved me to tears. I just started literally crying. I'm like, brother, you're going you're to lose your soul if you don't repent. just started crying. I, I was like so, I couldn't believe what I was seeing in the way that Satan had gotten a hold of him. And luckily, the situation went from him blaming and being plastic and hardness, you know, like, like that, that affect that people try to have when they're trying to be tough, to him ending his prayer in tears and working on his repentance. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's a victory, but we have to be moved to tears too. We have to understand how serious this is. If you're studying the Bible with somebody and they're thinking about not, you need to care enough to beg God for them. You need to care enough to even shed tears for them. You need to care. To, and there's times for righteous indignation. There's times for tears. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. We need to have that ability to have that kind of connection and care and concern that in imitating Jesus, we could be coming in that scenario too. Amen? Because we have to care that much. This isn't just do it or not. This is do it or else. Right? Um, The last thing. Jesus kept on about his father's work and didn't rest on his laurels. You ever heard that expression? Are you resting on your laurels? Well, what are laurels? Are they some anatomical part of your body? I got laurels. I didn't know I had laurels. I'm resting on them. We know it's a wreath that was given for a victory. And resting on your laurels meant you're relying on your successes and you're getting kind of complacent. Did Jesus rest on his laurels? No, I don't. No. He had this amazing entry into Jerusalem. Everybody was praising him. He wept over the city. He also didn't get caught up in his sadness. Because if you look in Luke 19, verse 45, he had just cried over Jerusalem. Luke 19, verse 45. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. Is it, it is written, he said, my house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. He could have been like, man, I just had this triumphal entry. I just rode a donkey nobody had ever ridden. I just had all kinds of praise. I'm emotionally drained by my crying. You ever, I, you, you, don't you feel drained when you cry? Yeah. Right? But he had lots of disciples following him. He could have been like, boy, this is a pretty good week. But he had one week left, and he put it to good use. He went right into the temple, and every day he talked. If you want to know what he taught, go read Matthew's chapter 22 to 25. You can read what he taught all those days. 
And also the scriptures say zeal for his father's house consumed him. You know, he knew he was going to die. He was still reminding. You guys ever feel a little bit disappointed and discouraged when you share your faith with people? And they say they're going to come and then they don't come. Right? I've been there. I've had friends coming. I've had friends say they're coming and they don't come. The last time I had to share something similar to this, I thought none of them had actually come. And three of them were in service. Because I said, it's hard when you call people and they don't call you back. It's hard when you text people and they don't respond. And then you, th- you tell you to come to church. And then afterwards, they came three to come. I'm sorry, man. I was here. I apologize for not calling you back. I was like, I'm glad you're here. Come on, man, let's connect. I want to encourage you, don't stop. Jesus didn't stop. He was sad over the fact that many were going to refuse. He knew many were going to refuse. But he still shared his faith. Amen? We need to be grateful for that. He did that because he even knew that even though the whole city was going to refuse him, there were going to be many people in there that were going to embrace him. And on the day of Pentecost, 5,000. Right? I'm a man. No, 3,000. I got bigger numbers in my head. 3,000 embraced him. We was 5,000 a little bit later in, in Acts. You know, he he cared enough that he wanted to just keep on sharing. For us here, even if we get a bit of discouragement or disappointment when we reach out to friends, what would Jesus say? Keep on sowing the seeds. Keep on sharing your faith. You don't know how that's going to work. How many of us were the product of two or three different people meeting us? Right? Think about that. I was a whole year. I wasn't open. God came looking for me. A sister came working at the chemistry labs at Columbia when I was there. I wasn't looking for God. She was nice. She wasn't my wife, but she was nice, and she invited me to church. I said, I like her. I'm going to go. That's what it was. I wasn't looking for God. God was looking for me. And at first, at first, I was not interested in the message. I liked the Bible talks. But I wasn't interested in the message, and I was so stuck in my old ways. I didn't want to hear anything different. And I was so skeptical and critical, but I liked that sister. And then I started liking the Bible talks. And then the Bible talk at Columbia was, at, was in its infancy, so it was a homeless Bible talk. So it was like I was rambling around the campus. And I was like, man, I'm tired of trying to find where this thing is. I like it. I like to know where it is every week. So I went to my roommates. I was living in East Campus, and I said, is it okay if we have this Bible discussion in our apartment? And I said, warn me if I start acting weird. <laughs> but is it okay? And I bet you the brothers and sisters must have thought, that Kevin is wide open. He's letting us have the Bible talk in his house. I can't believe it. That's amazing. It was a whole year later before I became a Christian. God was just putting brothers and sisters in my life so that I could see the life that they were living. Amen? And I came to the point where I couldn't deny it anymore. I would, they didn't even stop studying the Bible with me. They had the Bible talk in my apartment. They weren't even studying the Bible with me. And I was like, oh man, this is rough. But I came to the point where I saw it in the scriptures. I saw it in their lives. And all the excuses were gone. And I was either going to turn myself over to Jesus or stop saying I believed in God. Do you understand where I was at? And I went down to Steve Johnson's apartment. I said, Steve, 
I know I'm not right with God. And Mike Tolliver said, Mike Tolliver said, just about fell down. Because I was like, this guy, I've been praying for him. And I was there when I saw him turn himself in. And shortly thereafter, I was saved. Amen? So I got baptized in June 1985. Amazing day. I still look both ways, crossing the street all the way there. I didn't care that much on the way back. I still wanted to, I was not worried anymore. Amen? But the whole point is that for you and me, you don't know how God's going to work. Even Jesus knew the city was going to refuse him, but he still shared his faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to be men and women that have the, tr- the trust to believe that even if we get rejected, it's part of the plan for that person. And there's somebody else out there that's open because God is always at work. He's always preparing some soil. We need to sow the seed. We don't know what kind of soil it's going to be, but we need to do it. Just to close out, Jesus looked forward to this day, to this time when men and women would be together because he gave us something more powerful than miracles. He gave us something more powerful than the miraculous things that even the apostles were able to do. He gave us the word of God. That's said to be the perfection. When the perfection comes, those things will pass away. But when we use the word of God, we're using a sword, right? We're we're, we're giving people faith. We're giving them a shield. We're giving them a helmet. We're giving them shoes for their feet. We're giving them a breastplate of righteousness. We're giving them amazing things. But Jesus looked forward. And imagine if Jesus was walking down this aisle, just like in the triumphal entry. John chapter 20, verse 26. It says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. This is for us, though. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. Amen? That's us. We're blessed for the belief that we have without even having physically seen him and believed in him. And he's excited because this kind of stuff is what excited him right there. Just like he could have looked at the alternative histories, he could look forward to a time when he'd see us here, an opportunity where we would have to be built up and to have our lives changed and to be saved. And he is excited. Amen? He's, this is a part of his triumph right here. We are a part of Jesus' triumphant. Amen? Let's share that with people. Thank you.